T-minus 10, 9, ignition sequence starts. Coming to you from a small undisclosed outpost somewhere in Radioland, it's Because I Said So. Parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved for American parents. John Rosemond. People like this are a menace to decent society. Call in now about anything from toddlers to teens, even your 20-something toddlers who refuse to stop sucking on the pacifier of your standard of living. Let's not talk about it in front of the boy. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. From American Family Radio Network, here's your host, John Rosemond. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad you've joined us. I hope you stay with us through the hour. We've got some interesting things coming up. This is a program that's all about what is in America now called parenting. And our purpose here is to help people become better parents. That's the bottom line, to help people better understand the nature of children, better understand the process of discipline and become more effective leaders of their children, more effective discipliners or disciplers of their children uh, to better understand what their responsibilities are toward their children. I, You know, I think that we're in a muddle in America about parenting today. It's become a very confusing, complicated subject for the uh, typical parent, especially the typical female parent. And uh, this has come about because in the 1960s, and I can't say this too much, we began listening to mental health professionals tell us how to raise kids, uh, a biblical model of childering which had prevailed in America uh, since the time of the first colonists who came over on the Mayflower, was replaced by a psychological paradigm of parenting, and um, we're now 50 years into using it. It hasn't worked. There is no measure of child well-being that, uh, that suggests anything other than this has been a complete failure, this social experiment that was foisted upon us by well-intentioned people with capital letters after their names and an increasingly ideological media in America. My purpose is to cut through the confusion, uh, cut through the controversy, and... Uh, put things back into a proper perspective. And I happen to believe, and you probably already know this, because if you're listening to the show, you're listening on American Family Radio, and that's a Christian radio network. And uh, so my purpose here is to put things into a proper framework, a proper perspective. And I happen to believe that the only proper perspective on children, uh, well, on the living of life in, in any, uh, any sense of the term or any aspect of the living of life, but uh, specifically for the purposes of this program, the raising of children, that a proper perspective and proper guidance can only be obtained from uh, God's Word, the Bible, Scripture. So uh, we're going to, um, in uh, this first segment today, uh, concern ourselves with uh, something that I've addressed before. In fact, I address it quite often, and I don't think I can address it too much. It has to do with uh, 
the bogusness of traditional mental health counseling. And uh, I go into, as anybody who's listened to the show before or on any regular basis knows, periodic rants about that. And again, I am a psychologist. I'm licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board. And I used to believe in psychology. I used to believe that it uh, properly used could uh, uh, save the world. And I no longer believe that. I am not a believer in psychology I have become an outlier, a very controversial person in my field. Uh, Google these two words, the three words, John Rosemond and uh, Kentucky, and find out uh, just how controversial I am. Um, recently, a, a listener uh, by email asked um, uh, a very, you know, it's a good question. She asked uh, concerning my rants about uh, traditional mental health therapy. She asked, what about cognitive behavior modification? Hasn't research shown that to work? And again, it is a good question, and here's my answer. Whether a particular form of counseling works, and let me do that again, quote, works, end quote, because that's the proper way to say it, or not has little in my estimation to do with the form of counseling in question. First, uh, let's define works. A particular form of counseling works if the person receiving it reports that it worked. That may sound like a tautology, but that's the way it is. Uh, Whether a form of therapy works or not is uh, dependent upon the report of the person in therapy, the counselee. Um, and in this case, it works if the counselee says, uh, yeah, I went to therapy and uh, this person uh, was the therapist and uh, reports from that point an improvement in his mood or behavior. Second, this is extremely important to understand, the person, the counselee, in other words, is really not reporting on the therapy as much as he or she is reporting on the therapist. The counselor, that's the case because whether therapy in whatever form works or not for a particular person is mostly due to the quality of the relationship between the counselor and the counselee. In other words, if the counselee likes the counselor, he's likely to report improvement regardless of the type of therapy the counselor used, whether it was talking therapy, cognitive behavior modification therapy, Gestalt therapy, Freudian therapy, and so on and so on and so forth. It's an almost endless list. If he likes the counselor and the counselor does uh, Bozo the Clown therapy, in which he dresses up like Bozo the Clown and makes fun of the counselee and his problems, the counselee is likely to, quote, get better, end quote, all depending on the fact that He liked the counselor, has nothing to do in that case or any other case, really, with the type of therapy being used. Likewise, if the counselee doesn't resonate well with the counselor, he doesn't like the counselor, if he feels like, uh, you know, there's really uh, uh, a wall up between them, it really doesn't matter much what the counselor does. Studies have shown 
In fact, going back to the original question, what about cognitive behavior modification? Hasn't research shown that to work? Uh, Yeah. Studies have shown that cognitive behavior modification therapy produces generally good results. Keep in mind, however, that research has shown that every form of therapy produces generally good results. In other words, there's research showing that Freudian therapy worked, research showing that uh, Gestalt therapy works, etc., etc. Keep in mind that the conclusions reached by a researcher in the social sciences has everything to do with his or her biases, uh, his or her worldview, how he measures outcomes, how he chooses his subjects, and so on and so forth. Studies into therapeutic outcomes, regardless of the kind of therapy used, done by objective people, people who aren't trying to prove some foregone conclusion. And folks, this is a very rare animal in these social sciences. Do not validate the efficacy of any form of psychological therapy. Uh, Again and again, I tell people, if you need some help, go see a biblical counselor. I'm John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. We are a parenting show. That's what they call it these days. They don't call it raising children anymore. The show exists to try and resurrect traditional, biblically-based parenting in America. And I hope I'm succeeding. You can call us at 404-419-6499. 404-419-6499. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Welcome back to the show, folks. It's called Because I Said So. It's a show that's all about what we now in America call parenting. I'm your host, John Rosemond. Our phone number is 404-419-6499 if you'd like to join the show with a comment or a question. And in fact, we have a caller on the line. His name is Enrique, and he lives uh, in California, in Southern California, Enrique, uh, thanks for joining the show, and how can I help you? Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. Cool. Hi, I'm just calling in. I have a, a four-year-old who is borderline autistic. Um, the hospital says that he's not, but the school district says he's in that spectrum. So um, he's four now. He's been in the school almost two years now, and all of a sudden he's starting to lash out. Um, by telling me no, slamming doors, screaming at the top of his lungs. And I was just wondering if there's any guidance biblically, like um, spanking, you know, when is it right and when is not right? All right, stop right there, Enrique. You've told me a a lot in less than a minute. Um, First of all, let's go to this autistic thing. Is he in a public school or a private school uh, program at this point in time? Public. Public school. And he's four years old. Yes, sir. The hospital, when you say the hospital says he is not autistic, who at the hospital says he's not autistic? We went through Kaiser and they ran tests on him. Who, to, who ran tests? Uh, doctors from Kaiser for the autistic program. What kind of doctors? 
the autistic, whatever chapter that is. Okay, it's probably, uh, were these people referred to as Dr. So-and-so? Yes, sir. Okay, so you're probably talking about psychologists, okay? Yes. They said he is not autistic. Right. All right, the school says he's autistic. Yes, sir. Okay, who at the school says he's autistic? We have a thing called IP, um, IP classes where they take him in, they run tests on him. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. So who told you that uh, he's autistic? His teachers. Teachers. Okay. Yes. Well, first of all, teachers uh, are not qualified by law to make a diagnosis of any sort. Um, right. So... Uh, this is hot air as far as I'm concerned. A teacher saying, well, your child has uh, ADHD, your child has autism, your child has that. When we're talking about any sort of psychiatric diagnosis, I mean, a, a teacher can say uh, on the basis of common sense, your child has a cold. But a teacher is forbidden by law uh, to tell a parent your child has a uh, behavior disorder uh, and to to name a diagnosis in this case autism um, but it, here's it, here's what you've already told me uh, and this is what all of our listeners at home need to know uh, and put this in the context of I am a psychologist I am licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board I know what I'm talking about in this area However, I am an outlier, a contrarian, an oppositional guy in my field. According to my profession, I have oppositional defiant disorder. And um, here's what I know. That schools obtain, public schools, they receive additional money for every kid they can hook a diagnosis on. They are diagnosis hungry because public school funding has decreased over the last decade. Um, and these folks in public schools uh, are looking to diagnose as many kids as they possibly can in order to make up for the funding shortfall. So their motivation is money. Uh, when we are talking about a diagnosis of this sort. The only people who are qualified to make the diagnosis are people with bona fide mental health credentials. Now, whether I agree with these diagnoses in general or not is a different issue, but I can guarantee you that if psychologists at a hospital have told you your son is not autistic, that is the bottom line. He is not autistic. What the okay. schools are trying to do is make money. Not off of you. They're trying to collect um, revenue from the state that's available to them per diagnosis and federal money that's available to them per diagnosis. This is what's going on in American public schools today is a diagnosis frenzy. Um, number two... Uh, the second question I have for you, Enrique, is these behavior problems, uh, when did they start? You said four years old. You said recently, correct? Yeah, they started at three, 
And I think we were kind of like uh, the bribery system. Hey, we'll give you this well, to calm well, you down. Let's get to that in a minute. But first of all, how what, well, they started at three. What three? Because there's a big difference here between a three-year-old and a three-year and nine-month-old. So when did they start precisely? Can you identify a little bit that? After, a little after three, sir. All right. So like three years, what? Three months? Yeah, three, three months, four months. All right. And up until then, what? Were you having any behavior problems with them that were outside what's uh, considered normal for toddlers? Oh, we were having mellow ones. Not We were able to calm them down where he would just, you know, he would, uh, he wouldn't, he was late speech, so he wouldn't tell us, but he would like cry. He would uh, throw himself on the ground. Okay, when he, what, was frustrated, didn't get his way? Yes. Okay, so typical toddler tantrums up until about age three years, three months. How old is he right now? He's four years old. Exactly. No, four years old and four months. Okay, so these tantrums and this oppositional behavior have been going on for about a year. Yes, sir. Okay, have they, were they, these tantrums and oppositional behavior, were they going on before he started going to the school, or did they start after he began this public school program? Uh, before. How long before? Um, let's say maybe uh, four months. Okay. So the psychologists at Kaiser at the hospital, are they saying this is just a behavior problem? Is that what they're telling you? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I think we can proceed on that basis. This is a behavior problem. This is not anything diagnosable, although some psychologists may at some point in time tell you that your son has oppositional defiant disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Uh, I don't give a whole lot of credence to those disorders. And if, in other words, the scientific validity of them, if you're interested in, um, uh, reading more about my position on these sorts of diagnostic categories, I would recommend a book to you that I wrote with a nationally known pediatrician. The book is called The Diseasing of America's Children. What are you doing in response to the behavior problems in question? What are you currently doing? Putting them on a timeout. And how long in timeout? Um, three minutes. And, okay, that's the old formula, one minute per year of age or something along those lines. Um, does he stay in timeout? No. He tries to get his way out of the door, out uh, of his room. Okay. Is there any punishment that he uh, does cooperate with or does seem to work? Uh, spanking seems to get him in the right track, gets his attention at least. Okay. How often are you spanking? Um, once a day. Okay. The problem, Enrique, with spanking that often is that the more you spank, and you can take this to the bank, the more you spank, the less effective any given spanking is. So what you're doing is you're running out of spankings here. There's no problem in my mind with the spanking properly delivered, but... Uh, you're, you're, uh, if you're spanking more than once a month, you're spanking too much in my estimation and you're running out of spankings. The research clearly shows that spankings do in fact enhance other disciplinary procedures like timeout or taking privileges away or whatever. 
But the research also says that the most effective spankings are infrequent, uh, number one. Number two, delivered with the hand, not any sort of solid object like a belt or a switch or anything like that. Um, I won't get into that with you, but uh, there's there's a a, a very um, popular myth, I, I will call it, in the Christian community, unfortunately, that the Bible is prescribing that you spank with a stick or some solid object. That is simply not true. If you do proper interpretation of the scripture verses pertaining to the discipline of children that contain the word rod, uh, then you quickly realize that this is not in reference to a solid object at all. In fact, it's not in reference to spankings specifically at all. Uh, It's in reference to firm, consistent parental authority. Um, uh, You know, and a spanking may be a legitimate expression of parental authority in certain situations. But the Bible is not, I keep telling people, God is not a methods guy. He's not telling us, you know, put your child in time out for this and spank him for that and take his bike away for this. He's talking about principles. And his use of the term rod in his word refers to the consistent application of a parental authority that is given to parents by him. So my answer to your spanking question is that uh, it's okay per se to spank a child under these circumstances of this age. But Enrique, you're running out of spankings very quickly. Um, We're coming up on the end of uh, this segment of the program. I would like to keep you on the phone for at least part of the next segment if you're willing to stay. Are you willing to uh, stay with me? Yeah, John, sounds good. All right, great. By the way, back in the spring, I recorded, uh, filmed, I guess is the accurate term, four 30-minute videos at American Family Studios in Tupelo, Mississippi. And you, if you want to learn more, even more about me, you can go to those videos. You can go to that website, afastore.net. And uh, four videos uh, on the issue of parenting, different permutations concerning the subject. Uh, Folks, we're going to take a break. We're up against a hard break. We'll be right back. Uh, I'm your host, John Roseman, for the show Because I Said So. And uh, stay with us. American Family Radio Network, it's Because I Said So. Now once again, here's your host, John Rosemond. Folks, uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, The program again is called Because I Said So. We're all about parenting here, at least that's what they call it in America today. I really prefer the terms child rearing or just, you know, upbringing, something like that. In actuality, nobody called it anything 60, 70 plus years ago. Uh, it wasn't called anything because there was really no discussion about it in America because everybody assumed that uh, human beings had been well-equipped by God to do this thing uh, responsibly. If you were a responsible person, you knew how to do it. 
and uh, nobody was reading books. Uh, nobody was listening to people like me tell us how to raise kids. Um, we, uh, we began listening to people like me tell us how to raise kids in the 1960s, and it's been downhill from there. And I'm sort of a, you know, a voice in the psychological wilderness. And I don't mean to compare myself with uh, John the Baptist, but I am, in fact, a voice in the psychological wilderness uh, telling people, look, if you're a responsible adult, if you've got basic common sense, uh, you're, you're basically intelligent. And by that, I don't mean you're brilliant. I mean, you, you know, you're just an average everyday Joe uh, or Jolene. Um, you are capable of raising children well without relying on expert advice. Expect, expert advice has gotten us nowhere in America except into trouble in the raising of kids. And um, what uh, we have seen over the last uh, 50 years since we started listening to people like me, people with capital letters after their names, uh, mostly in the mental health profession, some pediatricians, uh, clinical social workers, et cetera, et cetera, you know, big shots. Um, what we've seen is the steady de- deterioration of behavior in children, and we've seen the steady deterioration of behavior at home and at school, and we've seen the steady deterioration of respect for authority, and we have seen the steady deterioration of achievement in school. Um, It's time that we step back from this psychological parenting paradigm that we embraced in the 1960s, assess it with uh, a good degree of objectivity and dispassion, and uh, come to the only conclusion that I think is uh, sensible, and that is that we need to abandon what I call postmodern psychological parenting, parenting that is based on bogus psychological theory. And a bogus psychological theory is a redundant term because all psychological theory, in my estimation, is bogus. Uh, and we need to re-embrace a biblical paradigm a, uh, of child-rearing, a paradigm of child-rearing that is based on biblical principle, God's Word. I keep saying to people, you know, uh, um, I speak all across the country in churches, and this is one of the things I say uh, very reliably. Uh, imperfect people, that's us, uh, we are going to do an imperfect job of raising children, uh, no matter the source of advice, but imperfect people will do a lot better job using advice from a perfect source than they will using the advice of other imperfect people. And, you know, the scripture verse, uh, one scripture verse, it's not the only one that certainly supports that concept, is uh, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own and I'm going to put a parenthesis in there, or anybody else's either, and a parenthesis understanding. Um, if we allow the Lord to direct our paths in all things, he will keep our paths straight. So uh, in the last uh, section of the program, I was talking to Enrique from the Los Angeles area of California about his four-year-old son, and Enrique has been so kind as to stay on the line with me and uh, and continue the conversation. So, Enrique, we're talking about a four-year-old son who is uh, somewhat delayed in his speech, which in and of itself is uh, 
uh, no big deal if everything else neurologically seems okay. Um, and this child is throwing tantrums and won't do what he's told. Uh, just a cluster of behavior problems that's developed over about the last year, correct? Yes, sir. And you've tried timeout and it's really not working, correct? Nope. And you've tried spankings and they're really not, uh, you know, they, they may stop the behavior for what, an hour, two hours, and then it comes back, right? Exactly. Right. So they're not working either. What you want is uh, a way of responding to these problems that is going to uh, eliminate them eventually within a relatively short period of time. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to do that for you. Um, what I'm going to recommend to you is that you put your son on a three strikes you're out program. And by that, I mean that every time he misbehaves, throws a tantrum, refuses to do what he's told, limit it to that. Uh, when he throws a tantrum, either throws a tantrum or does not, refuses to do what he's told, you call a strike and put him in his room, not in timeout, not in a chair where he can get up and, uh, and uh, uh, be provocative in that way, but in his room, out of sight, out of mind, for 15 minutes. And um, will he stay in his room, I guess, is a question I have at this point. No, he won't, but I can fix it to where he could stay in there for 15 minutes. Okay. Well, uh, does that involve locking the door? Yes, sir. All right. And what do you, you've obviously tried this before. What does he do when the door is locked? I haven't tried the lock because it doesn't have a lock on it, so he'll come out after a minute or so. Okay. So... What I would recommend, are you a guy who's handy with tools? Yes, sir. All right. Well, what you do is you take the door off the hinges, uh, cut the top third off the door, uh, rehang the door, turn the knob inside out. Now, what that enables is the child can see out, but he can't get out. And the difference is that children are sometimes freaked out by being behind a, a solid door when they can't see out of the room. Uh, if you allow the child to see over the top of the door, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, it, are you skilled enough as a handyman to do that? I totally understand what you're saying. Okay. So what you do is whenever either a tantrum occurs or a... Um, uh, a refusal to obey occurs. He refuses to do what he's told. You call a strike and you put him in his room for 15 minutes. Now, here's what I want you to do. You tell him that if he stays in his room for the 15 minutes, and I want you to use a uh, timer, like a stove timer. You can pick these up at Walmart, Target, wherever. Uh, they cost about 10 bucks. Use a timer, set the timer outside of his room and tell him when he hears the timer, he can come out. Tell him if he comes out before the bell rings, you will put him back in his room, reset the timer for 15 minutes and lock the door. He's going to quickly learn that if he stays in his room, the door is not locked. And for whatever reason, 
children begin cooperating with this uh, within a very short period of time. Um, when he comes out of his room, uh, I want you to sit down with him and I want you to say, I put you in your room because of this. Uh, make sure he understands why he was in his room, in other words, okay? You, do, don't, you don't need to extract apologies or anything else like that. Just make sure he understands why he was in his room. Um, and uh, so uh, he has three strikes through the day. Strike one, 15 minutes in his room. Strike two, 15 minutes in his room. Strike three, he goes to his room for the remainder of the day. And he goes to bed immediately after dinner. Now, when he goes to his room for the remainder of the day, he can still come out of his room to use the bathroom, of course, to uh, go places with the family, of course, and to eat meals with the family as long as he behaves himself at the table. Uh, an approach like this is going to begin, uh, I call it taking hold, producing results, usually within two to three weeks. And if you stick to it, it will pretty much solve the problem within six weeks. Now, I want you to ask any questions that you may have, Enrique, about this. We're, we're closing up on our break again, so we need to, uh, to wrap up the conversation. So uh, what do I need to clarify here? Well, it sounds good, John. I want to thank you for your time because I didn't think about that by shutting the door on him. You could be scared, but now if I cut it in half, you'd be able to see what's going on outside. And I'm looking forward to trying this method with my son. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, I've been, I've been recommending this uh, three strikes you're out. And by the way, uh, if you want to find out more about this, there's a book I've written. I hate to be self-promoting, but the fact is it's in the book. The book is called The Well-Behaved Child. And you can go on my website to find out more about the book. You can probably find it in your local library, bookstore, barnesandnoble.com, wherever you go for your reading matter. Um, it's uh, uh, a, a book in which I, uh, I describe various approaches to various behavior problems, uh, common behavior problems and very uncommon behavior problems. It's my discipline book for children three up until 13, and uh, it's called, again, The uh, the Well-Behaved Child. The other book, Enrique, that I recommended earlier is The Diseasing of America's Children, which will give you a handle on the uh, business of diagnosis in the mental health professions. Um, we're right up against the uh, end of this segment of the program, but I've been recommending this, Enrique. I started to say this earlier. I'll finish it. For 20 years, I've had great success with it. I, uh, I wish you success with you and your wife uh, success with it as well. Um, Enrique, thanks for joining the show. Folks, the show is called Because I Said So. I'm your host, John Roseman. Our phone number, if you want to join us with a question or a comment, is 404-419-6499. Uh, Enrique, call us back if you've got any more questions about this or if you hit a snag with this, okay? Thank you, sir. And uh, folks, uh, after our break, we'll be right back with more on parenting. I'm John Roseman. The show is Because I Said So. You can call us at 404-419-6499. You can email your questions to radio at rosemond.com that's radio at rosemond.com back with your calls after this 
Well, welcome back to the show, folks. Uh, our number, if you'd like to join us with a question or a comment, is 404-419-6499. Again, that's 404-419-6499. And in fact, we have a caller on the line. Her name is Leanne, and she's from the great state of Georgia. Leanne, welcome to the show. How can I help you? Uh, John, I'm having issues with a 15-year-old son that is just, I guess, your typical 15-year-old. But what's not usual about the situation is he goes back and forth to my home and to his father and stepmother's home, eight nights at my house, six nights at his dad's. And I'm having trouble with knowing how to handle his disrespect and his anger when his father is the one who is encouraging it a lot in my home. Well, how does this anger and disrespect, how does uh, it express itself? Any time that he doesn't get his way or um, just simple things like won't do anything that I ask him to do or tell him to do, um, he tells me he doesn't have to. It's gotten physical when I've enforced consequences, such as trying to take away his phone. What do you mean physical? Um, well, physically, when I say hand me your phone because of the way you're talking and treating me, then he will sort of bow up and expect me to come after it. And if I do, then he pushes me. He's um, So he me has actually been physical with you? Yes. In an aggressive way. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's never just put a fist back and hit me. He has acted as if he wanted to sometimes, but it usually comes in the form of slamming the door in my face, pushing me out of his room, or pushing me away. Well, there's a high likelihood that him hitting you comes next. Yes. I'm afraid of that. Yeah, and and you well should be. And you need to take steps to protect yourself, prevent that from happening. Um, He's eight nights at your house and six nights at his dad's. And you said his dad is encouraging, enabling. uh, He's behind all this in your estimation. Yes. Now, he has also uh, lied to his father about some things. We've been divorced about six years, um, and he's... um, the whole time we've been divorced, his dad has never been respectful to me in any way. And he has watched that happen. My son has watched that happen. Um, and so that's where the encouragement has come from. He thinks it's okay. Um, and then we'll lie to his father about things that happen in this home. Sort of plays both sides of the fence a little bit by telling his dad things that aren't true that happen in this house such as she's acting crazy again, she doesn't know how to parent me, and thus his father, I guess, chooses to believe that. So your son is orchestrating, whether wittingly or unwittingly, he's orchestrating this uh, this drama. Yes, yes, some of it he has. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also believed that since he was nine when this all happened, I think his dad encouraged the conversation of your mother is uneducated because I didn't go to college. Um, uneducated, doesn't know how, uh, she's crazy. Mm, 
you know, just whatever. I don't even know, but that's the the attitude mm-hmm. I get. Well, um, who is responsible for your son's behavior? Whose whose fault is it? I believe. Now, before you answer, Leanne. Yes. Uh, that's not a trick question. That is, you know, a very direct question. And I'm asking you a very simple question. Who is responsible? Whose fault is it that your son behaves this way toward you? Ultimately, it falls on him. Well, yeah, that's the right answer. Okay, so um, he's 15 years old. He is now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't accept your instruction. He doesn't accept uh, any consequences for not accepting your instruction. He's disrespectful. He's aggressive. He's physical. And the next step in all this, and believe me, there will be a next step. This hasn't stopped, is that he will hit you. So uh, given that we're going in that direction, I'd give that a 98.357 probability. Uh, given that we're going in that direction, um, why don't you just do the obvious and commonsensical thing, which is? Let him go live with his dad for a while? Precisely. Okay, so two questions answered correctly. Why don't you... Let him just go to his dad. Why don't you just tell him, look, that, you know, it's obvious to me you have no respect for me. You're not going to obey me. You're not going to accept uh, how I attempt to raise you and deal with you when you're here. You're becoming aggressive toward me. So I don't want you here. I love you, but I don't want you here under these circumstances. Uh, to be very honest with you, I don't feel safe with you in the house. And... um I want you to go live with your dad, and if you want to come see me, call me up and let me know, and we'll talk about it. Well, that has happened since uh, Thanksgiving, right about Thanksgiving. Um, I, the last consequence I enforced was he had a smartphone, and his grades are terrible as well. He was failing four classes. He did bring two up to a D this semester, and uh, I kept telling him that if you know, he didn't stop the way he was treating me and talking to me and his grades didn't get better, that I was trading that smartphone in for a flip phone, and that's what I did. And that was when he said, you've done it now. I'm going to live with my father. And called his dad, and he's been there ever since Mm -hmm. um, Thanksgiving break. Um, And I've tried to reach out to him. And um, Why, Why have you tried to reach out to him, Leanne? I guess because I feel I want him to know that I love him. Okay, he's 15 years old. Do you think that outside of the fact that he's constructed a drama, a soap opera in his own head concerning his life, and he's a victim, he's a victim of his parents' divorce. And, and, you know, today's culture encourages teenagers to develop a soap opera, a personal soap opera, uh, in which they are victims of some malevolent forces beyond their control. It could be peer group, parenting, uh, school. Those probably cover it, as a matter of fact. But today's culture, the media, even public schools, encourage kids to take on these dramas. So in his mind, he's a victim. And his father is encouraging this. His father has become a witting, not unwitting, but witting enabler, encourager of this, Leanne, there's nothing you can do that's going to stop this. Now, 
outside of the fact that he has, and, and mind you, outside, irrespective of the fact that he's got this drama going on in his head, he's 15 years old. Do you really think uh, if we could reach a rational level in his mind and ask him the question, do you think your mother loves you, that he would say no? I hope not. No, no, he wouldn't. So but my point is, you need to stop reaching out to him. The, this problem is his fault. It's not yours. He's responsible for solving it, not you. When you try to solve it, you become a player in the drama, in the soap opera. You, you mustn't do that. Because the minute you become a player in the drama, you can no longer think straight. You know, the Bible says there's foolishness bound in the heart of the child and proper discipline will drive it far from him. That is the actual meaning of the term, the rod of discipline. Okay, say that part again. The Bible says, Proverbs mm-hmm. twenty-two fifteen, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Not, not just sprinkled in there. There's not just a teaspoon. It's bound. It's imprisoned in there. And... Um, This foolishness, which the Bible says the rod of discipline will drive far from him, powerful, resolute, purposeful parent discipline will drive it far from him. Uh, When you begin taking responsibility for his problems, you become a member, a player in the foolishness, Leanne, you become a player in the drama and the soap opera. You need to divorce yourself from that. Okay. You have done the right thing in, in letting him go to his dad's. B, you're not doing the right thing trying to get him to come back. You're not doing the right thing taking any responsibility for this problem. You need to leave it alone, which will be the most difficult thing you've ever done in your parenting, but the most important thing that you've ever done. This is a crisis moment in your relationship with this child. A, you need to protect yourself. He's moving towards physicality. I mean, you know, hitting you, not just pushing you away. Uh, He does not have a strong male figure in his life. He's got a guy in his life who's more interested in being his buddy, his confidant, so your ex-husband is not a father. This, could, this wouldn't be happening if he had a strong male figure in his life, a masculine father. Right. Okay, so his father's not going to stop it, and you don't want to become a player in the drama. Okay. You need to just tell him, you can't come here until you're ready to sit down and talk with me. And believe me, and you need to tell him this too, things are not going to be on your terms around here. So don't think you can persuade me to accommodate your foolishness. I'm not going to. You're growing up. And that's the attitude you need to carry into this. Leanne, thanks for your call. Um, I hope this has been helpful, and I hope it's been helpful, too, to people who are listening all around the country. Our producer on Because I Said So is the inimitable Rich Rosal. And uh, I'm John Roseman. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us again next weekend. Why? Because I said so. 
from Creative Genius Productions and American Family Radio Network.